0: We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, Well, that's where we'll start, if you'll open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. It is a special day, uh, Father's Day is especially special for me uh, this, this year. Uh, my dad um, uh, just um, spent nine days in the intensive care unit, he just got out last week, I thank you for all of you who have been praying for him. Um, he had to receive like 14 units of blood uh, and they never figured out where he was bleeding from. Uh, He had every test you can think about, but uh, thank you, Jesus. He's home, Uh, and uh, I'm, you know, going to go see him today. I think when I see him, I owe my dad an apology Uh, because, man, growing up, I put my mom and dad through the ringer. I, I I wasn't exactly a bad kid, but I was kind of a combination between Dennis the Menace and Bart Simpson, you know? And uh, I just got into stuff. I mean, I you know, me and my friends, we would, I mean, we did all kinds of stuff. We would, we would take our bikes down and, and put, go. the roof of the local school was a flat roof. It was a rock roof. And we used to put our, carry our bikes up onto the roof. And we would ride our bikes and jump over sections of the roof, you know, to other sections. We would, you know, we hung out in the sewers. We knew the sewer system in my town. Like, you could walk, you would go underground for miles, and we knew exactly the paths to take. I mean, you know, at the number of times I put my life in danger, I just can't even imagine. I mean, we used to do all kinds of stuff. One particular summer, the very first day of summer, uh, we, my friend's house was strategically located right on Palos Verdes Boulevard, man, and we got a whole bucket of water balloons, and we just started bombarding cars as they came by. Um, I... Um, I tied the mailman's truck to the, the telephone pole, um, and, uh, and he brought me by the nape of my neck, bound to my mom, you know, to wrap to me out to my mom. Um, our pool was broken that summer, and, and the, the water was low. I thought it would be a good idea to, to fill the, you know, put a bunch of mud in the pool and to fill it with tadpoles that we had caught at a pond locally. that summer, our house was like the book of Exodus, man. There were frogs everywhere, you know. Uh, This was all on one day. This was the first day of summer, man. I was out the gate ready to go, you know. And uh, just I put my parents through uh, the ringers. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Explosives, fireworks, M80s, M100s, M200s, anything we could blow up. Uh, you know, BB gun wars, again, down at the local school, we'd take a trash can lid, and uh, we would shoot at each other with BB guns, you know, I remember I got one in the shoulder, we actually had to work the BB out, because it, you know, just, you know, a, a number of stuff, we had this one thing, my street, there was this corner, and we would, in this Telephone pole would the wire went right strategically across. So we would throw a wire or a rope over the wire, and uh, and we would put this big mud sock, like a hunting sock, you know, with a real thick weave, and we'd fill it up with mud. And we'd have a guy scurry up a real tall tree that was, again, strategically located. And then we'd have a spotter. And when a car came, man, we would let that thing go. Splatter, man. One guy came, one old guy came through and he had his, his side window just a little bit down. And it just nailed that. And that guy came out looking for us. And he's looking around. He's got a mud stripe right across the side of his head, you know. So I owe my dad an apology when I go to uh, to see him today cuz no doubt his health issues are residual effect of uh, of my childhood I, you know anyway <laughs> it's crazy my mom when she was going to Cal State University Long Beach she went to nursing school uh, after, you know, when I was about eight years old and she went through, through nursing school and she was going through a postgraduate degree and she would write stories in her writing class about me, about my childhood and about all the antics that I, you know, got involved. She got an A in the class and her professor says to her, is this kid still alive? <laughs> you know, just all the stuff. Bill Cosby, talks about his father. He says, you know, I thought my father was an idiot because the man couldn't finish a sentence. You know, he was always like, what the... Get the who the you know this was hit the way he would and and I you know now that I've become a father I can relate to that right can't you men you just you can, what the what the heck is going on you know and and you you have all these things and why because I have a different perspective now my kids are all grown now so empty nest. I'll just tell you, it's not overrated, okay? Uh, there, you get a, you get a, br- a break and a reprieve, but this last week with VBS, I had my granddaughter Willow, uh, with me all week long because VBS starts early and, I got a little taste of what it was like. All of you who served at VBS with with, with young children at home, God bless you, because because this week was a taste and a reminder of what it is to be a parent. And here's here's where where the the stress really comes from is is that man, you have to constantly monitor their steps Every, all the time. You got to constantly monitor their steps. Well. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and specifically chapter 4 and 5, you know, we, we see it's written from that perspective where we're concerned. The exhortation is, hey, monitor your steps. Um, and, uh, and so what I want to do today, I, I just want to be able, uh, fathers, to exhort you in the steps that you're taking. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to keep my word. Ladies, I got a word for you at the end of the message, so you can stay tuned. Um, Guys, don't let your wives get up and go to the bathroom at the end of the message, because that's where I'll fulfill my promise. But Ephesians chapter 4, the perspective is, hey, monitor your steps. We'll we'll pick it up, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, Paul says, I therefore. Now, any time in Scripture... And especially in the epistles of Paul, when the word is therefore when the word therefore is is used, we have to find out what it's there for. Because Paul, whenever he uses this word therefore, he's building on a thought that he has previously articulated. And here's the thought when he says, I therefore be the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The therefore traces all the way back to chapter one. So if you look back at chapter one. <clears throat> and, uh, and and go back there to to verse 11 here's what paul says this is the the foundational premise that paul says he says In him also we have obtained. Now he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's talking to believers in the church at Ephesus. So he's talking about people who have surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind. And so in speaking to them, he says, look, because you've surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, because you have the hope of eternal life and the hope of heaven, he says, in him, because you're hidden in him at that point, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, Paul's talking about two very important things here, and they're they're bound up in this word inheritance, if you want to circle that, and the word purpose, you could circle that as well. And, and and so he, he goes on to kind of articulate these two points uh, I, I, about our inheritance, about our purpose uh, in chapter 2. We'll pick that up in verse 8. And so in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone... Should boast. So these two verses talking about our inheritance. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is talking about our purpose. Now, with this in mind, my first point today, if you're taking notes, write this down. You need... To receive Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you have not surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then then, listen, we gotta start there. And I have to tell you listen, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And notice what Paul says about that. He says, listen, here's, here's how you're saved. Here's how you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. He says, for by grace, You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Okay, so so we all, as we prayed today, we are all sinners by nature and by choice. That means we are born into sin. We have inherited a sin nature from our father Adam. And so we all have, inherently within us, a sin nature. That word sin, it's an archery term, it simply means to miss the mark. The mark being the bullseye of perfection, and it implies That you can miss without really wanting to. You can try with everything in you to hit the mark, and you know, if you've ever shot a gun, if you've ever shot, you know, a bow and arrow, you know that you can, if you've ever played darts, you know you can aim really hard for the bullseye, but try as you might, you're not going to hit it every time. And so, so the Bible says we are all sinners. And you know that you're a sinner because you have a conscience. God has given it to you. Where does our sense of right and wrong come from? It comes from God's law, which is written on the hearts of mankind, that tells us that we are sinners. And so you have guilt, you have shame, you have regret, you have remorse, and you know. And some people, this is that thing that they they just carry with them. And what do we do with that sin nature? Well, the Bible says that we're to turn to God. Because if we don't, the wages of our sin is death. Now, many people, they won't turn to God. They'll turn to drugs. They'll turn to alcohol. They'll turn to promiscuity. They'll turn to, you know, the pursuit of pleasure. Lots of different things that we employ to mask the, the inherent problem that we have, which is that we are a sinner. I was watching a show this, this week, and it was talking about the men who built America. Fascinating show. And uh, you see all of these greats of the, the last century, Rockefeller and and uh, J.P. Morgan and and uh, C- uh, Carnegie and all these guys that, that were these huge multi, in their time, multi, the equivalent of today, multi-billionaires, but the richest men the world's ever seen. And somebody once asked J.D. Rockefeller, hey, how much is enough? And he said, a little bit more. And, and, and the thing is, for us, we need to understand that there's people, they try and fill this, this thing or mask over this thing in their lives with, with stuff or whatever it is. Hey, if I just get this, I'll be happy. If I just get this, I'll be happy. And you come to find out, no, this is not going to make you happy. This is not going to fulfill you. And the thing is, is that there's many today that don't have peace. They don't have peace because they don't have peace with God. Harrison Ford was being interviewed uh, in an interview, and he said in the interview, you know, you always want what you ain't got. (laughs) They're like, Harrison Ford, movie star, millionaire, what ain't you got? Peace. Do you have peace this morning? See, because the Bible says you can have peace. And so the the issue is is that all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. The wages, the thing that you earn for your work, is death. But the the good news of the gospel is, is that if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he's the Son of God, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins in your place, which he did, if you believe that God raised him on the third day to conquer Satan's sin and death and to give you the hope of eternal life, if you believe that, if you confess that with your mouth, the Bible says that you will be saved. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the issue is, yes, we're sinners, but God, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Listen, John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those that believe in his name. And so the the, the starting place today is to to acknowledge, listen, you need to receive Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have not received Jesus Christ, listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the message to pray to receive Jesus Christ. Now, in my experience as a pastor over 20 years, one of the things that I encounter frequently is that... There are those that, that say that they believe in Jesus Christ, but they really don't have <clears throat> a saving faith in Christ. And, and, and here's the best way I can explain it. And if you're a member here, you've heard me explain this before. That there's many people that have the idea, yes, you know, Jesus, Jesus is, is the Son of God. Yes, He died on the cross for the sins of mankind. Yeah, I believe in that. Okay, so then I ask the question, which defines whether or not really you believe that or not, The question is really wrapped up uh, here in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. Because what I will ask is, I'll say, how do you know you're going to heaven? And listen, if you go to the place to where you say, well, you know what, I'm basically a good person. Yeah, I, I, I believe that, but, you know, the, the somehow I, I'm a good person. I'm not Charles Manson, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not like my next-door neighbor or whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm basically a good guy, basically a good gal, <clears throat> and I'm hoping that, <clears throat> you know, my, I think my good works are going to outweigh my bad works. Well, listen, what that illustrates is that you're not saved by grace through faith, but rather, what you're doing is you're trusting in your works. See, and that's the important distinction is to understand your good works aren't going to get you to heaven. The Bible says that our righteousness, our good works, is like filthy rags to God. You, can, you don't have enough good in you. You can't help enough old ladies across the street to earn a right standing with God. You need to trust in God by grace through faith. Just understand and accept the fact and admit the fact to God. I'm a sinner, I'm a blow it. There's there's a million reasons why you should reject me, but listen, the Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so so the issue is, Lord, I'm just gonna trust you and your work, and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to to do that today, so you need to receive Christ. Now, if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, Paul's second point, listen, not only... Have you received an inheritance? But his second point is that you have received a calling. You've received a calling. Again, in chapter 1, he talks about that uh, predestined according to the purpose of him. And he articulates it more in chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That word means work of art. That means poem. You are God's work of art and you are his workmanship created, here it is, in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And listen, that, 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 that's, that's an important thing today. Whether you realize it or not, we've all received a calling. We have all received a calling. There is a purpose that God has created you for. I mean, so many people, you know, you talk to Christians and they are legitimately saved, but, but you say, hey, let me, let me hear your testimony. And their testimony is, well, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Well, all right, think about that on a timeline. I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. You're saved at 20, you die at 80. What's in between? Do the math. 60 years in between. What's that 60 years? If your testimony is I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, you're ignoring the 60 years of your existence. If it was just about that, you would pray to receive Christ, and you'd be out of the pool, man. He'd just take you down. He'd be like, all right, or take you up. Here you go. <clears throat> it's not that way. Why? Because God's created you for a purpose. You have, a, you have received an inheritance. You've received the hope of eternal life. And now you have to receive your calling. And God has called you for a purpose. Fathers, God's called you for a high and holy purpose. To take that little hoodlum that you've got and raise him to know God. Right? And, and so this is, this is a high and it's a holy calling. Listen, Jesus said this. He said, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So with this in mind, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where we started, listen, I therefore, because you are saved, and because you understand that you're created for a purpose, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy of the calling. With which you were called. I ask you a question. It's a very sincere question. I ask you maybe even to jot this down and take a walk with it this, way, this week. Am I walking worthy of the calling that God has given to me? Maybe on the occasion of this Father's Day, you could ask that question prayerfully Lord, am I, am I walking worthy of these children that you've blessed me with? Am I walking worthy? And so with this in mind now, turn to chapter 5, where we're going to camp out for the remainder of our time together. Not only do you need to receive Christ, first point, not only that you have received a calling, second point, third and final point, and the point we're going to camp out on, here it is, point number three, you must respond to your calling. You must respond to your calling. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, it's arranged in four parts. And and it's all about, and the big idea is how do you practically respond to the calling that God has given to you? How do you practically respond to this calling? And so Ephesians 5, it's arranged in four parts. And it's like the bases on a baseball field to get you home, right? How do you respond to your calling, right? Well, the, the four points are we're to walk in love. We're to walk in light, we are to walk in wisdom, and we're to walk in submission. Let's take those one at a time, okay? So, so, hey, listen, how do you walk worthy? Well, let's start off talking about you've got to walk in love. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, Paul says, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In other words, this is an offering to God. Men, we're going to help you to celebrate Father's Day today. We've got tri-tip for you after service today. It's become a tradition here, and that's what we do. We call them man roses, put them on a little skewer for you. You got that to, to look forward to, but man, you know how that smells, and you got the barbecue going, and then and that just goodness just comes wafting up, you know, and this is the offering that comes up to God. When we when we offer ourselves, when we're imitators of God, and when we walk in love, it's just this beautiful thing to God. Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. And, and, and Paul says, notice, he says that we do this by imitating God as their children. And that word imitating, it's a great word. It, it, it's the word mimic. You ever seen a little kid mimic his father? By the way, dads, your, 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 your son will mimic you. Your children will mimic you. That can be a, a, a really cute thought or it could be a really terrifying thought depending on what you're doing and what you, you know. Your kids will grow up, they'll drive just like you. My son drives just like me. It's, a, it's one of my big regrets. <laughs> they'll treat their wives the way you treat your wife. They'll treat their children the way you treat them. And so we're called to imitate God. We're called to imitate God. And so we do this, Paul says, by walking in love. Now, the word is agape. If you've been in church for any length of time, you understand what agape is. The Greeks had different words for, for different aspects of love. You know, I, I love baseball. I love hot dogs. I do love apple pie, and I do love Chevrolet. So if you're old enough to remember that ad campaign, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet, I love all those things. And I also love my wife. Now, hopefully, I don't love my wife like I love baseball or hot dogs or whatever, but, but, but the Greeks had these different words to illustrate the different types of love. Now, the word agape, it's, it's unconditional love, right? What that means is it, it, your feelings aren't attached to it, you know? And, and so the idea about unconditional love, well, I, for me, here's a great illustration. I'm called to love my wife unconditionally. We've been married 30 years. We just, on June 14th, celebrated our 30-year anniversary, and, and, I, and I love her, and I, and, I, and I have grown to love her unconditionally, and, and I, I really, you know, I, I'm a firm believer. I don't even think for the first 10 years guys have a clue. Women, they bond a lot quicker than men do, and it's, I'm not saying that I wasn't bonded to my wife, but I really didn't understand what unconditional love was all about until at least 10 years into our marriage. You know, the, the Bible says that when you get married, that, you know, man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, right? And what happens is you're, you become one flesh. Well, this becoming one flesh is a process, right? I mean, we are one flesh. We're united in marriage. But this process of growing together takes time. <clears throat> and so, for us, you know, it was years and years for me to, to really understand what it meant to be one flesh, what it meant to be united. Now, for my kids, that happened a lot quicker, and, and, and it, the process was crazy. And when my daughter, Megan, was born, my firstborn, and, and you know, it's funny having Willow this week. Willow is her mom. She is, she is my wife, you know, but it was just so surreal having her in our house because I actually called her Megan a few times, you know. And, and so Megan, my firstborn, I remember the day she was born. And I held her in my arms, and I never knew that I could have that depth of love and connection to someone. You know, you know the, the, the mom carries the baby for the nine months, and so she's, she's bonded. But, you know, and you, you know, you get to see the little image, and you get to feel them kick and all. But, man, I held her, and all of a sudden, every thought, every emotion was, I will walk through fire for this child. You know, and, and this, is, this is that unconditional love. This is, this is that, 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 that connection. And Paul says, listen, we, we're going to fulfill God's purpose in our life. Listen, we need to be those people that, that respond to our calling and to do so in such a way that we, we live out God's purposes in our lives and we do so by loving one another unconditionally. Notice again, Paul says, hey, here's how you're to walk in love. You're to walk in love as Jesus has loved us and given himself for us. Love's not an emotion, it's an action. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. That's the action. His only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it, but... He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And and so loving like this, sacrificially and unconditionally, it can only come from God. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. In other words, what that means is that God took the, the initiative to demonstrate his love for us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me take it home for everyone here and for you dads, especially here on Father's Day. Dads, you need, you need to take the initiative with your children to love them unconditionally. To love them unconditionally. Now, Paul's going to go on, and we'll look at it in a minute. In, in I think it's in verse 14 where he talks about, you know, awake, you sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And, and there's this part of us, and it, and it has to do with the curse of sin. But but if, if you look there in Genesis chapter 3, when man and, and woman fall into sin, and, and then there's a curse that's associated with it. For the man, the curse is that, you know, it, it talks about how... You, you're going to have to work, it's the sweat of your brow, it's thorns and thistles, you're, you, it basically ain't nothing coming easy, is the idea. And and every man here understands the burden and the weight and the pressure of having to provide for a family. Especially those of you that are salesmen. It's been said that salesmen wake up every morning looking for a job, Right? <laughs> That's the equivalent, because, you know, i got to make a sale today. Every man carries this constant pressure, this constant burden, and, and it's just there. It's your constant companion. So what happens is, is this works uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a difficult way with the woman's sin nature, because for the man, you know, everything, he's constantly carrying this burden. So when he comes home, well, look, I... I don't want to carry the burden of home and the kids and all of that stuff. And so what we do is, is we, we try and shuck our, our respos on our wife. We try to put our curse on our wife. Hey, you take care of the kids. Hey, you take care of the home. And that works badly with her sin nature because the Bible says that part of the woman's curse is that her desire will be for her husband. And that's not desire like, oh, I desire you, you're wonderful, you're in my knight in shining armor. It's not that. It's that she, she, basically, she wants a knight in shining armor, but she wants to tell you how to be her knight in shining armor. That's her sin nature. So what happens then is the man has his curse where he's like, oh, I just want a break. I just want to catch a break here. Why do guys love the television set? Here's why. Because it loves unconditionally, and it never asks you to do a single thing. You come home, and you can tune out, and it just gives. It just loves unconditionally. It never says, will you take out the trash? It never says, will you discipline the kid? It never says anything. It just gives, right? And so the guy comes home, and he just wants to receive. He just wants it to give. He doesn't want to have to do anything. And the wife, her curse is, hey, I'm, I want to tell you how to do things. There's this, there's this commercial, and I, I don't know if it's still on, but it was uh, uh, OGs. Uh, and basically, there's this guy working out in the garage, and he's cleaning. and his, Well, he's not cleaning. He's goofing off out in the garage, and his wife keeps coming out nagging him. Honey, did clean up the garage. Honey, clean up the garage. And then finally she comes out. She's like, if you clean up the garage, I'll, we'll go to OG's tonight. Oh, okay, I'll go. And I'm like, gee whiz, you know. And here we're perpetuating this thing where the wife is going to treat the husband like a kid. And the, and the husband is, is not going to man up and be a man and lead his home. He's going le- to let his wife be his mommy. Guys, do you let your wife be your mommy? Does your wife have to be your mommy? See, the thing here is that there, there is that, that, that burden of responsibility and we are called to love and love is sacrificial, love is serving i so blessed this week seeing all of these servants out here. And I told everybody on one of the mornings just to look, I'm not going to call you volunteers. I hate the word volunteers. You're servants. You are here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 10, 45 says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if it's good enough for Jesus to come and to serve, listen, it's good enough for us to come and serve. And God's created you with a purpose. And men, especially men, you want to love your family, you're going to serve them. You're going to come home from a long day of work and you're not going to put your wife in a position where she's got to be your mommy. Hey, you're going to man up and you're going to come home and you're going to lead. You're going to be the one that's going to take the initiative with your family. You're going to be the one that makes sure that your kids are are walking with the Lord. They're honoring and respecting your wife. Man, I, the, the, there's so much I could say about this, and, and, and i just say one more thing. It's not in my notes, but, man, one of my pet peeves is when I am out somewhere and I see some kid just completely railing on his mom, and dad's standing there, and he just doesn't say a word, doesn't do anything to stop it. I mean, you know, in my house, the only thing worse that I could do than backtalk my dad would be to backtalk my mom. I would be in a coma for a month, man. My dad would be, that's my wife. You do not speak to her that way. Listen, this this all goes to, look, how do we love? Love is sacrificial, it's unconditional, and I don't care how you feel, and I don't care how many overtime shifts you work. You're called to lead. That's your purpose. That's your duty. That's your responsibility. And God has demonstrated his love for us in that way. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life. Again, there in verse 14, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, Christ will give you light. A lot of people, they're just sleepwalking through life. When I was a a teenager, I went up camping with my friends, and um, I was not walking with the Lord, and and I just drank myself into just, you know, blacked out. And the next thing I know, I wake up, I'm outside my tent, we're in the high Sierras, it's below freezing. And, and, and I I'm in my chonies and that's it and I'm wandering through the forest. Evidently, I went out to you know relieve myself and, and that's when I came to. And, and and this verse always reminds me of that story. Because what was I doing? I was walking in my sleep, and when I came to, my first conscious thought was, "I'm dead." I've, I've, just, I've, been, I've been sleepwalking. I've been out. Now, I have no idea where my tent is. I have no idea where, where warmth and shelter is. I have no idea where I am. And listen, that, sometimes that describes the state that we're in. And, 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 and man or woman, I ask you the question, are you sleepwalking through life right now? Are you in a place where you need to wake up, man, and recognize, look, if you don't change you're dead. It's so critically important, and we just need to understand this, man. we got to walk in love. Well, the second thing that Paul says, the second way that we walk worthy of this calling that God has given to us, this, the, the, this inheritance that we've received, hey, we're not only walking in love, but we're to walk in light We're to walk in light. Look at chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. What does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to walk in the light? You know, uh, here's a great illustration, this idea of walking in the light. You know, let's say you, you come home, guys, and your wife has been, you know, mo- she's in mopping the floor. And let's say you got a job that, you know, you're wearing boots and they're muddy. And all of a sudden you take five steps into the house, you know, and uh, and then you hear your wife call from the other room. Hey, I'm mopping the floor. Don't Don't track your muddy boots in here. And let's say that, you know, you just ignore her and then you just come walking in. You got a whole trail of muddy boots all the way into the house through a couple of rooms and your wife sees it. Let's ask you the question. Are you going to have fellowship with the missus anytime soon? The answer is no. Why? Well, because your wife gave you light, right? When you came in the door, she said, hey, you're walking in darkness and the light is the information, the knowledge of this floor is clean, and I just told you what the truth is. So you need, to, you need to either walk in the truth, walk in the light that you've received, or continue walking in this muddy, dark path. Well, if you reject the light and walk in darkness, listen, you're not going to have fellowship with your wife. You ain't going to have fellowship with God. Right, And so that's the idea here. This idea of walking in light, it's this this metaphor. It means to walk purely, to walk honestly, to walk openly. Nothing hidden in your life. Look at verses uh, 11 through 13. He says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Here's the idea. Look, I am going to understand in the receiving of my calling and in the execution of my calling, not only am I going to walk in love, but I'm going to walk in the light, and walking in the light means I'm going to go, this is the way of God. And this is not the way of God. And I'm going to make a choice with the light that I've received. My question for you is, are you walking in the light? Do you have hidden things in your life? Are there things in your life that, 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 you know, you're you're, you're hiding? You're sweeping under the rug? Are you living a secret life? Proverbs 5.21 says, The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all His paths. My father understood this truth, raising me. He used to tell me all the time, listen, Teddy, you don't belong to me, you belong to God. He's entrusted you to me. And I have to give an account to God someday for for how I have raised you. Usually, I got that conversation when I'd been in the sewers or up on the school roof or tying the mail truck to (laughs) to the telephone pole or whatever it was but my dad and this this had a profound impact on me because here's my father telling me look I'm going to I'm I'm going to give an account I'm I'm accountable to God for how I raise you and so you're getting a spanking right now because God's going to give me a spanking if I don't tune you up right now son right and so so the thing is is that we need as dads especially as Christians certainly we need to walk in the light. We need to, to, to live in such a way that, hey, you know, how do you pay your taxes? How, how, how do you conduct your relationships? What's on your computer? How do you interact with your neighbors, with the people, you know, that you come in contact with? Because your kids are, you're taking all, they're going to mimic you. And you need to walk in the light. Well, the third way that we walk worthy of the calling with which we have received is to walk in wisdom, walking in wisdom. Proverbs 4, 5 through 7 says this, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake wisdom and she will preserve you, love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and in all your getting, get understanding. Now, the best definition for wisdom is this. Knowledge skillfully applied. That's wisdom. Knowledge skillfully applied to your life. It's been said knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Okay? Knowledge skillfully applied. In other words, wisdom consists of information and execution. Okay, you get the light and you execute it. You walk in wisdom by walking in the light. Okay, and we see that reflected uh, in verse fifteen. Let's read it. He, he says, "See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise." And then he continues the thought in verse sixteen: redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so, so the issue here is that, you know, the, 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 that phrase, see then, there, see then, and what it means is to observe and execute. That's what, the, that's what that phrase means, observing and executing. And so what we're going to do, we, we're going to observe, we're going to receive the information, we're going to execute, we're going we're to act on that information, right? Now, Christ gave us this light to take action. But what happens is that we have a nasty tendency to get distracted, don't we? And, and, and so we're exhorted, see then that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly means, man, you've got your head on a swivel. It means you're looking all around. It, and, and he combines that with not as fools but as wise. And the idea, it's the picture of a military patrol. That's what walking circumspectly means. My son had a piece of property uh, and we had gone out uh, to to hunt for snakes and he brought his little friend with him and, and all of us are out there and my son's got his shotgun, I got my shotgun and we're out walking and I don't know, Scotty's probably nine or ten at the time and, uh, and so we, we're and his little buddy with him and so his little friend just comes running uh, and I'm... You know, kind of over the hill and down a little bit, coming up this rock outcrop, thinking this is a perfect place for a rattlesnake. And his little friend comes running over the top. He's just going to bound down this rock outcrop. Well, there's a rattlesnake right there. And and, and now I'm raising my shotgun and I, I'm like, I'm like, hey, Lyndon, move. You know? And and uh, he's like, what? I go, I point the gun down. I go, look. He looks down at his feet. He's like. Oh, he backs away, you know, and now that rattlesnake is in our garage. But uh, <laughs> But um but but there's this idea. We see this example, same thing. this this failure to walk circumspectly. We're in 1 Samuel right now. Eventually, we're going to get to 2 Samuel, and what you see there in 2 Samuel, you you see King David. Here's a man who's had this stellar, awesome walk with God. God's raised him up to be the king over Israel. And you get to I think it's chapter 11. You get to chapter 11, and, and it says, hey, it's the springtime. It's the time when kings go off to war, but David stayed home. And what was happening, the, the, the text is telling us, you know what? David slacked it off. He should have been fighting the battles of God. Instead, he's it off. And he's not walking circumspectly. What he, what's he doing? Well, the text tells us he goes for a walk on the roof. And, and, and the way it's phrased, it just basically means he's walking, he's meandering up on the roof. He's walking without aim and purpose. Are you walking without aim and purpose in your life? Are you walking circumspectly? Because what happens for David, he's just up there. He ought to be doing something else. He's just sort of meandering on the roof. And, you know, you, you, you probably have heard the story, right? Who's he seeing? Well, he checks out his next-door neighbor. She's out taking a bath. And he eyeballs her, and hey, bring her to me, and before you know it, he's committing adultery with her, Kill, has her husband killed, does cover it up? Why? All because he wasn't walking circumspectly, and that's the way sin is. It's just this little thing, it seems harmless enough, and then it leads to another, and then it leads to another, and before you know it, you're train wrecked, man. You're just hung out to dry. And so, so it's important that we walk in wisdom and that we, part of walking in wisdom is that we're, we're going to be circumspectful in, in how we're walking. And notice also he says part of walking circumspectly there in verse 16 is redeeming the time. That word redeeming, it implies potential value. It doesn't, it is not value until you redeem it. When I was growing up, we used to have a lot of Coke bottles on the side of the house. And I would take those Coke bottles, and I would take them down to the liquor store down the street, and I would buy candy when I would redeem the bottles. But I couldn't get the candy until I lugged all the bottles down. I had to, I had to redeem them. This is the idea of your time. You have to redeem your time. It's there... But you have to be circumspect in how you live your life. And, and as it pertains to being a father, I would say a lot of guys don't redeem the time. And listen, for your kids, it's all about time. Will you listen to a 51-year-old man whose three children are all grown and married and now have children of their own? And now, you know, eight grandchildren. Well, number eight's on the way. Okay, And I will tell you, and I was told all the time, look, you're, you're going to blink and your kids are going to grow up. You're going to blink and they're going to grow up. And I blinked and they grew up. And, and you need to know that. Because there will come a day in your life when you would give anything. You would trade a year of your life to go back just for one day with children when they were younger. Okay? And you have that time right now. You can redeem that time. You can spend that time with your kids. You can can give them the benefit of your attention. Can you tell me who won the 1995 World Series? Some of you probably could. But can you tell me who won the World Series in 1995? Can you tell me who won the Super Bowl in 1995? And why is it these things come up and we're like, you know, get out of here? Redeem the time. Well, his fifth and final point, and I'm going to close here, verse 21, chapter 5, he talks about walking in submission. He says, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Right, and, and he goes on to talk about several aspects of submission, that we are to submit to one another in the fear of God, that, we, that wives are to submit to their husbands, that children are to submit to their parents, that, that we are to submit to those who are in authority over us, our bosses and all. And, uh, and I just want to focus on one thing because it is Father's Day, and ladies, if you will indulge me, I'd just like to talk to you about submission for a minute. Because you are exhorted to submit to your husbands. Wives, verse 22, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, you know, you say the word submit and the hair on the back of your neck goes up and so on. I just simply say this. That God has created an authority structure in the marriage. And the husband does have authority over the wife. He is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, that's not because he deserves it. It's not because he's better than you. Because that's the way God has set it up. And, it, and as you read through Ephesians chapter 5, you get you, you, get, you know, to the, you start there in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And it has a few verses talking about submission. And then it goes in, talks to the husbands about loving their wives. And then it concludes in the, the final verse in chapter 5 uh, where, we, where we read, nevertheless, verse 33, let each of you in particular so love his wife as, as himself... And let the wife see that she, what's the word? Respects. That she respects her husband. Listen, that's the idea here. The respecting of your husband. You need to understand that for your husband, respect equals love. Respect equals love. And that doesn't mean that he's always going to be worthy of your respect, but you have to respect his position. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that I can say about submission. I've taught through this section before. You can go on, you know, our website and you can pull up the section on submission. I got a whole message on submission in Ephesians chapter 5. But listen, for today on Father's Day, can I just exhort you ladies... Can you respect your husband, his position, and, and the, the, that that God's called him to? Can you place yourself submitted to his authority, understanding God has called your husband to lead you, to lead the family, and what he needs most from you is for you to say to him, my wagon's hitched to you. I'm here with you. I'm committed to you. And my job is to help you succeed. I absolutely respect who you are, who God's called you to be, and I'm going to do everything that I can do to help you succeed. Listen, here's what I would say to you. For some of you, you say, you know what? He doesn't deserve it. Maybe he doesn't. But I would ask you the question, do you always deserve to have your wife or your husband love you unconditionally? As Christ love the church? Do you always deserve it? No. Do you need it? Yeah, you need it. And for some of you, if you would just make the conscious effort to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to submit to you and I'm going to respect my husband. Hey, listen, that might just be what it takes to turn everything around for him. Somebody needs a wife by them. Man needs his wife by him just to be able to say, I'm with you. I'm here with you. I'm committed to you. Well, we bring it to a close in that, and here's what I just say. Listen, you've re- you need to receive Christ, and you have received a calling. And you have to respond to the calling.